I did not take the route that just showed me the money. And and I think if you if you follow your heart, your passion, and what you love, that you will end up finding the thing that that really gets you motivated and excited. And when you find that, you will be successful. Welcome to Hearts and Cards, the CPG podcast, the podcast about the people behind the products that are winning hearts and filling carts. This cast is for anyone with an interest in the world of consumer products. We're your hosts, Justin Osborne and Alex Hill, and our mission is to bring you weekly content that helps you be a better and more informed CPG professional. Welcome back to another episode of hearts and carts i'm your host justin osborne and today we have a fantastic guest mr paul tedesco who was my professor actually at mcmaster university so he taught me corporate reputation and brand management uh, 12 ish years ago has a really exciting career in the ad and marketing space working with some huge industry companies like mcdonald's samsung jetblue mercedes just to mention a few he dives into some great topics here around his career, advice throughout, how to make the most of yourself, how to have the right attitude. Really enjoyed this one, being able to connect with him again and learn more about him. And always amazing to have that different perspective from the you know industry professor that I love, similar to Jim Letwin, who we've had in the past. So I really think that you're going to enjoy this. If you haven't already, remember to like, subscribe, follow us on social media, give us those five-star reviews. And here, let's get into the episode. Perfect. So how are you, Justin? What's up? What are you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm good, Professor. How are you doing? Been a busy. Well, I mean, I was in your course about, I was looking back now, about 14 years ago, which is... Oh my God, is, that long ago? Is that long ago? Yeah, which is hard to oh. believe. Uh, and now You're I getting look, old. I, I know, I know. Now, now <laughs> that I looked at it, it was, I guess, like in your first first few years at, at Mac. I didn't realize that at the time, but now looking mm-hmm. back, uh, it's a long, and long time ago. And you're still talking to me. I'm still talking to you. Yeah, we um uh Alex by the way just just had a brand new baby. So he's he's off. I'm giving him a bit of a break here which uh you know, he was excited to chat with you as well, but I think he's got his hands full with his second now. Excuses, excuses. <laughs> Some guys never change. That's, that's just the way it is, right? But uh but life's been good. Yeah, I after graduating worked in kind of GTA for a number of years and then moved out west to Vancouver with my my now wife and have been working here always in sort of the consumer packaged goods space. So I worked for some of the, like the big guys in Mississauga, like um, PepsiCo and Pfizer and SC Johnson and stuff. And then moved out here for some uh, health and wellness brands working with like Vega, which is sort of a protein powder. And now I work for a company okay. you can see behind me called Bloom, which is like a, a coffee alternative. So uh, I, yeah. I, 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 I have heard of Bloom. Good, good. I'm glad. So it's been it's been fun, and I've done some marketing roles and sales roles. Um, I would say more so sales roles, but uh, but have been like a brand manager and stuff and all those things. So my my schooling, I guess, helped right and doing the doing the MBA, and I did it in 
did the double major in in strategic marketing and then mint so the management of innovation and new technology i guess the innovation side i'm using a lot and then technology changes it feels like every six months so it's a it's a tough one there it's uh it's crazy how fast everything's moving eh? i keep thinking i'll have to retire at some point um, <laughs> because i'll just won't be able to do it anymore I'll, it's just moving so fast Every meeting I'm in, I feel like I'm prepping for an hour because I got exactly <laughs> what uh, a different tool uses or, you know, one of my clients will say, I want you to come in and talk to us about how we can integrate Jasper AI into our program. And I'm like, Jasper, the fuck <laughs> Jasper. So then I have to spend two hours researching what it is so that I can go in and go, I know all about that. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the AI things. I'm already feeling, you know, we're talking to our uh, social media manager at work and the huge emphasis on TikTok and stuff, which I don't have. Cause I'm, I, I feel too old for it. And it's like, now that's, I was like, oh, we're starting to get into social medias that I don't know now. I don't like that feeling. <laughs> like, Yeah. But you know, I think we're at least 14 years closer to my, my goal. And that is Facebook going away. I don't know if you remember yes. how, what an anti-Facebook <laughs> guy I was yeah. and still am, but I'm like, because uh, I go on TikTok, I probably go on like every Saturday morning for 20, 25 minutes, just look to see what's happening, what people are doing with advertising and and stuff like that. But um, and it and it is totally um, was I teasing someone the other day, I said there's a uh, there's one stream on TikTok called uh, Beard Meets Food or something. <laughs> and it's Beard Meets as an M-E-A-T-S food. Yeah. And his whole thing is. That he goes, he travels the world to all these restaurants that do the, if you can finish this in mm. uh, minutes, you get it for free. Yeah, yeah. And I'm totally obsessed because it's a little skinny guy, <laughs> right? It's a it's like Joey Chestnut kind of thing. Huge beard. <laughs> and like, I literally watching him, you know, enchiladas one day, pizza the next, uh, some 36 inch pizza he ate the other day in 20 minutes. It's like, geez. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I'm totally. No. Angry off of no. the topics to which you want to uh, think. I'm glad things are going well. Do you like Vancouver? Uh, I do like living out West a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've loved it out here. A uh, big, big lifestyle change. And there's things you miss. Like my family still lives there. A lot of our friends still live there, but we were coming out here a lot for vacation. Um, and one day we were like, why don't we just move there? Right. It's not like when you go to like, you know, maybe some tropical place that's beautiful, but you're like, you know, I couldn't work there. I couldn't find a job. I couldn't. And then here it's like, well, we're still in, still in Canada. I don't have to apply for a visa. I just have to find a new job. Right. So um, we made that decision and it's, I think it's been great. We've got a a, a four and a half year old now that's like thriving out here. And yeah, life is, life is good. There's times I miss being, being home in Ontario, but for the most part, pretty happy with the decision. Have you have you caught on to the uh, Western Canada culture of uh, uh, anything but Ontario? Because Ontario is the <laughs> devil. They do. There is some. There, you know, there's a lot of. My sister lives in Alberta. My parents live in Ontario, and uh, BC hates both. So it's yeah, kind exactly. of it's kind exactly. of a, a weird one, right? And and, uh, and not as militant in BC against Ontario as uh, yeah. Alberta. Yeah. But anyways, it's. It, I think people. I don't know. I think a lot of people's perception is that Ontario is Toronto and it's, and it's not right. Like there's a lot more to it. And if there's places in Ontario that, you know, when you drive to like, you know, you drive to Algonquin or places like that, that I don't think that people realize how beautiful Ontario actually is and how much wilderness yeah. there is and how, how amazing the great lakes are like the size and the scale of them. Like, so, um, you know, I think people underestimate how, 
how nice how nice you know ontario and and all around the gta really is right yeah i've had some americans who say things to me like i didn't realize that toronto was on the ocean <laughs> yeah, it looks because, like that because lake like ontario that. is so freaking big that everywhere you look it's water i mean there's no sign of uh of any land and anyways yeah in fact like we we're on the ocean and we look at land and islands and so it almost feels it almost feels smaller right because yeah. you can see Vancouver Island and everything but uh yeah i think there's maybe you know misconceptions about that and just toronto just being a massive city and it's like what's interesting is toronto's now become so big in terms of like pop culture that it's developing its own like little little world like movies are being filmed there and they're not pretending it's somewhere else they're actually making it toronto shows are being filmed there there's more famous yeah. musicians more famous actors so toronto's now become like this this cultural hub too which is which is pretty cool to see grow like when i was younger never the case right yeah yeah, yeah it's uh it's good well you know it's we have such a our country i try to explain again i spent so much time with americans so i try to explain the culture of canada right where western canada hates toronto <laughs> um central canada uh, central canada being the prairie provinces in Alberta hate both sides and Ontario honestly doesn't care about anybody else. But Ontario. Like, <laughs> yeah. We don't care that everyone hates us at all. And it's just so, uh, so incredible to, to see. And you know, the world is such a strange, I don't know, the last couple of years, ever since COVID started, um, the world just seems to be really messing, messed up. Mm. Whether it's, you know, Ukraine or the Middle East or whether it's Trump or, um, you know, what, what, what is, is approaching it in, you know, our own internal politics. The world is a mess. I don't know. Yeah. I'm thinking just, um, um, a week from today, I'll be off the coast of Antigua on a sailboat and I'm thinking maybe I nice. should just come back. Well, that it's hard to come back after that, especially in the winter. Come <laughs> back after that, right? But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't remember. I remember people disagreeing about things. I don't remember them so abrasive to other sides of topics the way that they mm-hmm. are now, right? Before it was like, of course you had, you know, conservatives and, and Democrats and things like that. But like, it's it's just changed so much now where it's not even like there's a conversation. It's like different sides just are so entrenched and dislike each other so much that it, it's become a very odd place. Yeah, we yeah. need a uh, worldwide uh, program of engagement for about 8 billion people on anger because <laughs> it feels like everyone's angry. It does. It is. Right? Yeah. It feels like everyone's angry about something. And um, anyway, I'm not angry. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that, and that's good to hear. I think um, let's, let's talk a little bit about you. Let's talk about happier things and, and talk about you and, and your <laughs> career and, and life and all of that. And I, you know, wanted to have you on the show because I think it's it's great having different perspectives on on business. We talked to a lot of founders, a lot of CPG professionals in their career. We talked to Jim Letwin, who who you worked with for a number of years um, uh, as well. But we wanted to get you know you know different people like founders or marketing folks, sales folks, finance folks, supply chain folks, professors, uh, people that work for ad agencies, all those types of things. And what I loved about you and Jim Letwin um, that was that. Going through school, I found there were a lot of, um, I'd call them like PhD professors or people that had been sort of in, in that realm for a really long time. And then there were a lot of industry folks um, that had worked in different areas of, of businesses and were also teaching as well, like yourself. And I found that those people provided a, a much different perspective, one that I could relate to a lot better 
I knew I wasn't going to be a, you know, I knew I was going to get my PhD. I knew I was going to go into the workforce. So to hear examples, uh, like in your classroom, you go through examples of actual projects that you worked on, how you brought those to life, the thought process behind them. Like to me, that was a lot more tangible and just more enjoyable than talking necessarily about like just theories. Yeah. Um, and, and so I wanted to hear, you know, more about your background, more about your career, and, and hopefully some of our listeners can, can find some advice in that as well. And so I guess I should, I'll introduce you now, but we've got, we've got Paul Tedesco on the show today. I know him as Professor Tedesco, and I think I'll, I'll always call him Professor Tedesco because it feels a little bit weird calling you Paul now. But uh, he, he taught me when I was doing my MBA at McMaster um, in corporate reputation and brand management was the course. I can't remember the number it was, uh, but there was yeah about it's a long time ago now. I think it was 2012 uh, that we that I had that class with you. So long, long time ago. And just one of my favorite courses, a uh, course that I loved for a number of reasons I said. And then I think you have a really, really cool career journey and, and what you're doing now. You're also the president of track. And so would love to hear from you about like, you know, young, young Paul, like, what were you doing in school? What did you think you're going to do? What were your dreams, aspirations? Like, how did you get started in all this? And then maybe we can sort of catch up to to where you are now. Uh, thank you, Justin. And I'm really happy to be here. I'm glad to see you after this much time, although time obviously flies too fast because it doesn't <laughs> feel like it's been uh, that long. And it was uh, M740 was the M740, number okay. of, the, of the class. Um, I haven't taught that in about five years, but um, but I remember it well. Um, you know, it's an interesting, I was having a discussion. So I have four kids, uh, three of them are out of the house. One of them is is at Laurier, the youngest is at Laurier, and the other three have moved on and have careers now. And my daughter called me the other day and she said, Dad, I got a problem. I said, what's the problem? She works for the government in Indigenous Relations. And she said, um, I got this new job offer. Um, to go to a different part of the government, still in indigenous relations. But she said to me, she goes, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, tell me about this other job. And she said, well, this other job, I'd have people reporting to me. It's it's a little different. I'd get some different exposure, more potentially ministerial exposure, um, but it's less money. Mm. And I said to Ali, I said, if I was only after the money, I'd still be selling toilet paper, which is one of the first jobs <laughs> I ever had was Scott paper, where I was selling uh, selling toilet paper. And I said to her, if I had not taken risks, if I had not accepted jobs that were less money, but got me somewhere, I said, you got to think down the road and you got to be able to prepare the, uh, prepared to make decisions and changes. And I said, I'm the luckiest guy in the entire world, but you know what lucky is? Luck is preparation married to opportunity. Hmm. And I said, so you've got to look and say, what is going to take me the farthest? What am I, where am I going to be happiest? Because it can't be just about money. Um, it's got to be about those things. And if if you are prepared and opportunity knocks, you've got to be ready to jump and make the decision. Um, and I have done that all. I have many instances of taking three steps back in my career to get somewhere else. Um, just because, you know, that's kind of how you got there. And it's my 30 first year in the marketing services advertising agency business now. I can't believe it. Um, but I spent the first seven years doing something totally, I can't believe. So there's the other thing I can't believe. I can't believe that I've been working in the workforce for almost 40 years <laughs> Yeah, because I feel 35, but apparently my birth certificate says something different. <laughs> Numerous times I've taken a step back and, and in one particular case, coming to the agency side of the business, a total unknown 
and I have loved every minute of my 30 some odd years of, of doing this for a living. It's the toughest job you can imagine because there's no glory and you bear all mm. the, the brunt of, of, of the world on your shoulders. You're only as good as what you did yesterday. There's tons of pressure, but um, it's also the most rewarding thing you can possibly do is kind of work in that marketing side of the business. Um, so I, I, I started uh, selling toilet paper. Then I went to run restaurants. Then I uh, got headhunted by someone who wanted someone who knew how to run restaurants in their advertising agency. And that's how I got mm. where I, where I am today. So. And like, what, a, what an interesting, what an interesting jump. So yeah, like, so the ad agency piece, I always think of like, you know, I think when people hear ad agency, they think of like um, Mad Men and things like that. Right. So like, like, what do you, what do your days look like? What, what do you do now? What does your agency focus on? So um, if you go back 30 years, Justin, it was a lot more like Mad Men than you can probably imagine. Okay. It is nothing <laughs> like that today, but in the old days of, uh, of when I first started, we did a lot more intense client entertainment Drank too much. I like the way uh, you described that intense client entertainment. Intense client <laughs> entertainment. Um, I drank too much. Uh, it was a. It was a very. It was all about the big idea. We had time to to relax. You know, I, I talk to my staff here now, and I'll tell you about track and me in a second. But I talk to them now, and I go, you know, when I started in this business, I didn't have a computer. Hmm. Um, and they just look at me, and they're like, "Well, how did you contact your clients?" And I said, "I picked up the phone, and I jumped in the car." Yeah. Um, when I needed something approved, I jumped in the car, drove to my clients, showed it to them. They looked at it. We marked it up with a grease pencil and I drove back to the office so that we could make the changes. It was such a, a, a different world, but it was also a different world where you didn't have to be agile and and always available. You know, I just mm. two teams messages just popped up on my on my screen here for things to do with work. And, you know, you get distracted. Um so I don't think it was better. So I'm not suggesting it was better, but it was different. And it was, um, and there were some real, real benefits to being able to take the time to talk to people and meet with people. I, I know people who um, have never met live their clients. Mm. And I'm the kind of guy who will fly to London, England for a one hour meeting because that's how you build relationships and that's how things work. Maybe my time is coming close to an end, Justin, in this? I don't think so, but maybe it is. So track, <clears throat> where I've been for the last um, 13 years, um, the best way to describe it is probably a, uh, like traditionally we would be called a CRM company, customer relationship management company. Mm -hmm. So it's a, and which I've been in for most of my career, have been playing at the uh, at the fringes of, of CRM, but it's definitely a digitally oriented data centric technology centric company um and you know we for instance would for mcdonald's is one of our clients and we would yeah. manage their data we would manage their um their technology we're the ones who are sending all the offers out to people we're the ones doing the predictive modeling so that we understand who gets what when is the best thing to provide somebody uh we you know help determine what modeling and marketing should be done on the media side my creative team creates the communications. My technology team works within the technology stacks, the MarTech uh, marketing technology stacks like Salesforce and Adobe and, and Braze to deploy, to build and deploy the communications. So that's what we do. Um, and, and I mean, we have a stellar, we're about a hundred people here at Young and Bloor. 
And we, um, uh, we do that kind of work for many clients, but McDonald's, Samsung, Mercedes, and JetBlue Airlines are probably our biggest uh, as far as what kind of drives the, the business forward. So that's kind of a little bit. Uh, and then me, I graduated um, from Western with a degree in economics in the early 80s. And with that, um, wow, early 80s, early 80s. <laughs> and, with, <laughs> um, and with that, when got a job selling for Scott Paper toilet paper, because the, you know, we did the on-campus interviews at the time selling yeah. that product was actually driving around to, I was doing the industrial side, driving around to locations and actually going in and going, hey, buy my toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of moved from there. Again, I ran restaurants for a little while. Um, for, uh, I would say that now that we're about 100 people, which we've grown from 13 years ago from five to today 100, it's been pretty good, pretty steady, moderate, controllable growth. Uh, today, I think most of my responsibility, I would say, I, it revolves all around one word for me, and that's retention. Uh, priority for me is retaining employees um, because that's what makes everything happen. And I'm very fortunate to have single-digit um, uh, attrition of employees, which is pretty unique in the advertising uh, world. Um, my leadership team average at time they've been with me is eight years wow. and then retention of employees leads to retention of clients mm-hmm. because I find many of my peers are running around trying to get new business all day long and they forget their existing clients and then they need to get new business because they lose their existing clients and we've got a tracker we've lost one main one major client and so uh, retention is the key word that I'll say on that sorry am I no, that's that's you probably that's no because you remember me. It is not hard to get me to talk. <laughs> no, that I, that's perfect. I think. I mean, yeah, the like the leaky bucket scenario. I think exists in a lot of places. You're always looking for new accounts, and then you're neglecting the ones you have. So, I think there's a a great lesson in that. And the the McDonald's one, like I vividly remember. It's funny talking about in your class and you going over that. So you, you're still working with them closely. I I remembered that one right away when I thought of you. Um, so it's cool to hear that you're still partnering with them. Yeah, we have a 13-year relationship. I now actually lead CRM for McDonald's at Omnicom, which is my big holding company that owns Track. We have uh, the CRM in 14 markets, and I lead that from a CRM standpoint. And um, they are absolutely an incredible client, uh, and they are part of the reason I love what I do. So I spend a ton of time with them, probably the most time on McDonald's of any of my clients. And I do that globally. So I am traveling around talking to different markets and being involved in different markets. It's a lot of fun. And then, and so like, you know, really important, busy job, lots of travel. Then you also just teach on on the side, it seems like. So you're still doing that. So tell me a little bit about like that, the decision to become a professor. Why do you still do it all these years later? What's that been like? No, it's a great. So I changed from running restaurants to the advertising world while I was doing my MBA and my MBA took me seven years part-time. Um, and at one point in time, when I started to work in the marketing side, uh, the agency side, it was obvious that an MBA was going to do nothing for me. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't mean that in any, it, it did a lot of things for me personally in creating who I am, uh, you know, being able to focus, uh, so I have so many skills from my MBA that I can't even tell you time management being one of the key ones, the ability to do things fast, um, and well, uh, is, is an incredible trait you learn when you have four kids and you're doing your MBA <laughs> and working full time. 
Um, but I was, I quit. Um, at, I think you're five, four or five. Um, and I just started into the advertising side of the business. And, um, and I quit because I thought this isn't getting me anywhere, but I'm spending a lot of time on it. And you mentioned earlier, but you know, one of the key influences I had in my life that got me to teach was Jim Letwin. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw who he was, what he was all about, the way he could engage an audience. And I said, I want a piece mm-hmm. of that. And I do feel bad for you because you were one of my relatively first classes at McMaster. Yeah, I guess I was. Um, yeah. Um, I've, I've only matured and gotten better with age. I'm like, a good <laughs> um, but Jim Letwin was a huge, you know, if you think about the people who make a change in your life and even though Jim, I've told him pretty much ignores that. And I don't think he takes it seriously when I say what an influence he had. And it's not that him in the time we spent together was so influential, but what I saw in him and, and how he operated, how he spoke, uh, how he could engage people. I said, I want some of that. So I went back, finished my MBA, and I got a job teaching at Schulich, um, which would now be 21 years ago, I think. Uh, and I was teaching the same kind of course as M740. And and it it changed my life because it has made me who I am. You call me a professor. Many of my clients and many of my staff call me the professor as well. Because I'm the kind of guy who in the middle of a meeting gets up at the whiteboard and starts building out a model and going, okay, if we do this and we do that, and they think I'm very professorial in my approach. So um, you're not alone in that. Uh, uh, But that's how I, so my MBA has paid off in spades and it paid off in spades because they wouldn't have let me teach without it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's had been such an incredible influence how to do this all at once. So I'm teaching three classes right now. Um, and I was home for one week in January, uh, which tells you how difficult yeah. um, it, it potentially can be. But I'm figuring it out and making it work. <laughs> I don't want to give it up. So I just keep saying yes. Yeah, I think it's um, it's cool that, that it kind of relates to Jim as well. He is he is like he's got a lot of energy, got a lot of charisma, that guy bottled up. So I could see I could see that for sure, um, how that would in, uh, would inspire. It's like, how do you. Like, how do you manage your time when you have, you have kids, right? You've got busy job, you're teaching three classes. I think most people struggle with, you know, I've, I have one child and I have a regular, and I just have a regular job and I feel like I'm busy all the time. So, so how do you, yeah. how do you do it? You got hearts and carts, so you got a second job. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, this one right here. Um, You know what? I think there's a, and again, I think I learned this in my MBA. There is an element of prioritization and focus that uh, I think 95% of the people I know do not have. Mm. And it's because they've been graced with too much time and not enough pressure to kind of get things done. So I do think that doing my MBA and working at the same time as having kids molded me into the ability to think very fast and get things done um, extremely quickly. But the real secret is you got to love it, right? Mm. You got to love it. Like, you, you know, for me, because when I'm done with you, I'm at the office, Young and Bloor, I got to go back to Burlington, um, at which point in time I got a presentation tomorrow at McDonald's, I got to finish. And you can't do that if you don't love what you do. Because when I get home at nine o'clock, all I'm going to want to do is just, you know, if I didn't love what I was going to do the next day, I would just want to, you know, I've been rewatching The Sopranos and uh, I'll just want to sit choice. and watch The Soprano, <laughs> Sopranos and screw the the work part of it. So I do love it. I will admit that Three courses is too much, um, but I do them all January to March, and then I don't teach the rest of the year. Mm. And it's because I chose by course, right? Like I, I 
am teaching the courses that I want to teach. And do you know this new BLPT program they have at uh, DeGroote? No. So there's something called the blended. I don't know how interested your listeners are going to be in different MBA programs, <laughs> but but DeGroote has developed in my mind the best uh, option for an MBA program for someone who works ever because it costs the same as a normal MBA, but it's called the blending blended learning part time MBA and it's one weekend a month for three years. Hmm. So we have really I, have, yeah. I have people in my class who fly in from Calgary for one weekend a month. They fly in, they stay at a hotel for a couple of nights, they fly out. So it's also great for me because I'm away almost every week for work now, which means I can teach because it's on the weekend and it's one mm-hmm. weekend a month. So it's actually this weekend coming up um, that I'll be teaching that. So I have two courses in the um, blending learning part-time MBA. One is called um, customer value creation, which is really where my own personal interests and research have have driven me. It's something that I spend a lot of time on. The other is um, intermediate marketing, uh, which again, really fits into what I'm doing. It's kind of neat because I get the same students two years in a row because I get them in one class and I get yeah. them in the other class. So it's kind of uh, interesting, but it is a great, I'm trying to talk my wife into taking it, although she says, why would I bother at this point? But um, <laughs> I've been trying to get her to go into the blended learning because it's really doable. Yeah. Right. Like it's so hard. Again, I can't teach M740 anymore. I love that course, but I can't teach it anymore because when, um, so Mandeep Malik is now the chair of the marketing department. And, you know, Mandeep calls me and says, Paul, I got these courses. I'd like you to teach. And I go, I'm away for every second week of my life. I can't do a Tuesday night course. Yeah. You know, and I I can't do it. So the blending learning is good. And then I teach, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the new executive MBA and digital transformation that you're Uh, has. So I teach marketing um, data and analytics. Got it. Okay. Data and that course, too. and that's coming up at the end of February. Um, and that's a solid week, right? Like it's, I just take a week off work and I, I literally teach for, for a week um, in that course. So, And that's nice that the more flexible options for students, but it's more flexible for the professors as well. So you can get people that are top talents doing well in their industry that can actually make it work because yeah, seven o'clock you're working downtown. Like that's a tight window to get there sometimes on a, on a weekday or you're traveling or you're doing whatever. I love the yeah. idea of like people out of province being able to join the course too it, and come in. It's crazy. Good. Like I said, cool. if you were yeah. looking to do your, your MBA, not able to put the couple years aside to do it full time, not wanting to have to go, you know, a couple nights a week, and and it's really quite a good option. And then we do a lot of virtual stuff, right? Which I can do from, I taught three classes last week from New York, from my hotel room in New York, right? I mean, it's, it's the, the virtual stuff you can kind of do anytime from anywhere. How do you, how do you find the, the virtual teaching versus in-person? I only ever did in-person. This was because this is way before we had a lot of this and COVID didn't exist. And you talked at the beginning about like the relationship building that you have in person, flying to London to meet someone like, you know, all that stuff. So how do you find it teaching online versus versus in person? Because I, I always imagine it's tough to get the same level of engagement with, with people. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I really don't like the online. Um, so what I try to do is do different types of activities online. Because mm. um, the other thing that is freaking all my students out right now is that I'm not teaching with slides anymore. Mm. So everything is on the board. Um, or group exercise or chart paper or, um, 
or that. And I know I, I'm freaking my students out a little bit because they, they're like, why don't you post the slides ahead of class? And I go, no slides. Um, and you can't do that virtually. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I've been attending for three years in a row. I've been attending this program that Omnicom has called Omnicom University, which is held at Harvard and it's one week a year and, and you go through it, uh, for three years. And, um, and I did that. And my big takeaway when I went there was not one of those professors use slides. Hmm. They might show a video. They have cases, a lot of case work and stuff. And I do a lot of articles hmm. and that, that I hand out hmm. for, for backup. So most of the material is somewhere else where they can see it. And I, and I have taken to recording all my, um, my lectures and posting them so that people can go back and, and, and watch them again. But uh, when I went to, when I was at Harvard, None of those people ever used slides. They all spoke mm. and taught and wrote things on the board. And it was it was a journey of self-discovery, which is really challenging for a lot of students that are entering the programs today because they're used to slides and they're used to everything being black and white. Um, I had an assignment for one of my classes that uh, is due on Friday and I had I have 60 students in the class because the BLPTs are big. And literally, I must have had some people sending me 10 notes in a row saying, I don't understand the assignment. I understand the assignment. And I wrote a note to the whole class. And I said, listen, one of the things you have to learn and one of the things you should be equipped for when you come out of the MBA program is to deal with ambiguity. Yeah. And and I said, and I go, I promise that I'm not, tr- uh, there's no trick, right? I'm not going to go, hey, <laughs> get to fail you because you yeah. you didn't do it right. I said, tell me what your assumptions are. Make those assumptions and build it. I said, because not once, you know, I'm presenting to McDonald's tomorrow morning and not once has McDonald's said, Paul, let me tell you, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah. Why do they need you? Right. They got a business (laughs) problem and they want to solve it and I'm coming in to solve it. And I've got to figure out how to wade through the ambiguity to get to whatever the solutions I'm going to present are. And, and I think, um, and teaching on the board helps me do that in a much more effective way. People have to pay attention. They've got to think. Um, they would ask questions in the moment or else it just passes by. Yeah. Well, the, I, the dealing with the ambiguity thing, like I, one of my first bosses, I'm not going to say his name, but remember I asked him, I went up to him and said, Hey, I've got this problem. What do I do? And his response was just, I don't know. What do you want to do? And it was that like, go figure it out type yeah. of mentality. Right. Which I was, I was thinking like, what, like I was going, what is the answer? It's going, whatever you want it to be, just go figure it out. Yeah. Hey, there's, and there's, a, as a, um, as a manager or a leader, there's lots of risk in that, mm-hmm. right? Because there's risk that they won't do it right or do it the way you want it to be done. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be disappointed. So you have to be able to manage. And, and I, I use this example because I, um, because I'm never really around and I'm doing a lot of things globally and I'm not really running my business anymore. The team is that I've had for eight years, but they know that no matter what they do or decision they make, I will stand behind them 100%. I may take them into my office and go, what were you thinking? <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. But I would never say, go get out of it, us out of it. I would never do anything like that. You got to stand behind. I try to tell my students, I'll do the same thing with you. Take some risks on on this paper. Tell me why you're taking the risks and what it's all about. I'll stand behind you. I'm not going to let you flounder and go, this isn't exactly what I want to do. Um, so you got to be, you got to be willing to to take the reward and the punishment you can't say oh i want you to be empowered and make decisions and then 
you know, question and, and, then, and then be negative about the decisions that are, are coming out of it. You've got to be prepared to suck it up and go, yep, I'm with you 100%. I've had, I know my boss who's in the UK, I'm sure at times has said, you did what? Why did you do that, Paul? That just seems stupid. Like, why would you do that? And I'll go, well, it seemed like the right thing to do at the time, all in my <laughs> mind going, it was that guy because I let that guy do it. But you know what? I can't put that guy under the bus. No. I got to just suck it up and take it. So, yeah, that's interesting. So what so jumping forward a little bit, like what's what's coming up for you next year? Other than your trip, of course, you're going to Antigua. But other than that, you know, what, what do you got going on in terms of work, life? Like, what do the next few years look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, so we as a network. So there are three track offices now. One in Hamburg, Germany, one in New York, and one in Toronto. We're going to do some expansion of that. So I'm definitely taking more of a global role as we kind of grow um, and do things. We are, uh, I mean, interesting because because of our client retention, we are on the Omnicom is 88,000 employees, wow. but the chairman knows me, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even over 100 of 88,000. Yeah. Um, and it's because we're doing some incredible work when it comes to client value creation and therefore client relationships, which is what this business is all about. Um, I think I'll probably spend the next few years expanding the network and growing it. Um, My team is, like I said, really runs this place themselves anyways. So I'll just give people an opportunity to grow because I don't want to micromanage and be a hamper, like hamper their growth and their opportunities. Then I might just take a more consulting role. I might I might stay at track. I, I love it. I love all the people I work with around the world. Um, if we grow it to be, I, mean, I think right now we're 300 people or so, 100 of them in Toronto. If we grow it to be 1,000 or 1,500 people, I'll just follow it through and then just become more of a consultant. Uh, I'll probably teach. But I will um, probably spend a lot more time on sailboats in the Caribbean. <laughs> um it's it's certainly something I love to do and uh, and want to spend more time doing. So I I could see myself as a. Do you ever watch Below Deck? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Captain Glenn. If you that, know that could be you. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Right. The below Deck sailing. I could see he's from Vancouver, by the way. Um, uh, Glenn is. Um, I could see myself maybe doing yeah. something like that for a few years, where maybe not on that big a boat, by the way, Parsifal or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. It's like a floating mansion, but I could see myself on a little 50 foot boat in the Caribbean, taking people sailing for a week for a little while and, and doing something like that. Um, I don't imagine I'll, I'm trying to write a book right now on customer value creation. I can't imagine I'm ever going to give this side of my life up totally until they take it from me. Um, <laughs> kicking and screaming. This is, I, I joke because of course I work for people in other countries. Our head office is in the US. My boss happens to be in the UK. And I joke all the time about, you know, you know, Canada has no retirement age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are going to have to, you are literally going to have to pick me up and carry me out of the office, kicking and screaming to get me out of here. Cause I can't yeah. imagine why I would want to. Uh, yeah. I guess that goes back to, you know, you're talking about just loving it. Right. Mm-hmm. Although your semi-retirement plan sounds pretty freaking good <laughs> if you're doing that then. So at least yeah. you, you got a, a few different options there. I think the key is like a lot of times when people retire, they are just bored. And so you need, you need something, whether that's you continue with drag, whether that's, you know, you go to the below deck thing, whether that's you continue teaching, like there, there needs to be something, right? Yeah. I, I can't imagine that I won't uh, do something. And I think the, I got into sailing about 
15, 20 years ago, and now almost 20 years ago. And it is it is something that I think keep, would keep me semi-occupied. Um, my wife tells me that I'm nuts because like my oldest son, who's 29, is getting married next year. And she said, next thing you know, you'll have grandkids and then you'll yeah. be coaching. You'll be you'll be going all the way back 30 years. Yeah. And you'll be coaching hockey teams and uh, and involved in all that. You'll be picking them up from school and you'll be doing all those things. And that'll take up all your time. Yeah, well, yeah, we're we're sort of at that stage where I'm traveling a lot for work. My wife travels for work, so the grandparents are helping out and doing their thing. And so we're at like exactly that point where I think they thought they'd be retired and relaxing and they're babysitting. So you, you kind of yeah start yeah. over again. I mean, I think it's the uh, the the approach to it. I tell my kids all the time they can never move in with their yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously, if something yeah. was drastic, I would take them and not make it. Not just yeah, you're not. <laughs> But I keep saying, I don't want you to live with me. Uh, but I certainly want to be a part of my grandkids' life. I was a big part of my kids' lives, and and I want to be a part of that. And, um, yeah, I love the idea of coaching some four- or five-year-olds in, in hockey, yeah. uh, again, as a grandpa. So just keep my uh, – as, as, as long as I keep my health together like I have, I'll be all good to go. And well, I think that's, like, that's a key to it, keeping your health, right, is, like, having a purpose, being active. Because you can see, like – you know, if you're just sitting at home watching The Sopranos and not doing anything quickly, your health's going to deteriorate, right? Like you need, yeah. you need that humans need to be challenged, right? Um, so I think that's, that that's important. And just having that purpose. Um, one of the questions we love to ask all of our guests, and, and a lot of times we're meeting with with founders or people in the industry. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your answer, but it's something we call the brand crush. And you're in, you're in marketing, of course, you've been in marketing for a long time. And that's really about a, a product or a brand that you love and and why? And it could be something you just like use every day. It could be a really cool um, product that you see out there right now that you haven't even tried, but you just love what they're doing. They yeah. can go in any any direction. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because I, I have drunk my own Kool-Aid to a big degree in the fact that I am absolutely obsessed with McDonald's. Like I truly <laughs> am obsessed with McDonald's. The other day we're having this discussion about uh, countries you visited and I went, well, I visited 25, 25 countries and I have been to 25 different McDonald's and 25. I have not been to a country in my life that I have not gone to search out a <laughs> and find a McDonald's. So I, I have to admit that they're they're kind of um, um, uh, top of my my list. Um, being a sailor, there's a company called Gill, Gil, okay. which, uh, which makes sailing clothing and accessories and stuff like that. I'm pretty... I'm pretty hooked on them. I have a whole, uh, if we were doing this next week and I was on the sailboat, you'd see I'd be decked out, you know, my hat's gill and my, my everything is gill. So um, I definitely have a, um, an obsession with them. Um, one of the ones that, um, that I'm really getting interested in of late. Uh, and again, I'm trying to separate the marketing aspect from what I just believe in is um, RMHC. So I know mm-hmm. that McDonald's introduced me to them. And part yeah. of the reason why, but just this year, one of my um, my wife's cousins um, had a very premature child that spent four weeks, uh, four months, sorry, at Mac. Mm. And they lived at the Ronald McDonald House there by uh, McMaster in Hamilton. Yeah. And I just grew to love what they're all about and the people are all about. And I think what makes it especially, because I've had this conversation now with a bunch of my clients who sponsor events and do things like that for their kind of social good. 
So, you know, whether it's in the CIBC is not one of my clients, but I use it as an example. CIBC run for the cure, right? Mm-hmm. CIBC and cancer aren't necessarily, I mean, I think it's wonderful that they do it and I'm a big supporter and I think it's great and they need to do things like that. But when I think about whether it's like Tim Horton's camp or RMHC, and I think about the connection between the master yeah. brand and the the um, and the not for profit and what they're doing just seems so good to me. So I have to admit that I'm um I am as I said pretty obsessed with uh, <laughs> McDonald's. Now I did, and you probably remember this about me that I live my brands right. Like every appliance, TV, my phone, they're all Samsung. Samsung. Well, I've had Samsung since 2015, and and everything I have is Samsung except my laptop, which is provided by the company and is not Samsung. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I, I have to admit that I've got a little bit of excitement happening in my, in my world now, because I won Mercedes two years ago and brought Mercedes on. So what did I do? I went out and bought a Mercedes. Great account. That's, yeah. that's what you do. Um, you support your clients, right? Gone was the Audi and in was the Mercedes, but I got involved in F1 and mm, okay. following yeah. F1 um, I, I've been there with Mercedes a couple of times now to, in Montreal to see the F1 in Montreal. And there's just something about that sport, that brand, the way they market, and the fact that they're getting to a younger, because everyone's in search of Gen X, right? Or Gen mm-hmm. Y or Gen Z or millennials or whatever you want to call it. Everyone's in search of getting younger customers because so many brands are aging and yeah. not necessarily getting younger customers. And And Mercedes is definitely one of those brands that is struck by this a little bit um and the way that f1 appeals to everyone just and the obsession around it which is actually crazy have you ever been to an f1 just i i haven't i just watched the the netflix documentary on on f1 a few months ago though and i i've never been a fan of any motorsports but i had to admit like it was just it was pretty wild like Yeah, pretty amazing. And I've heard good things about, I mean, you can see in the video and stuff, the amount of people that are there and what it looks like. It's the scale of it is wild. And, 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 and why? Because here's what you do. You walk for an hour to get to your seat for an hour and a half. You go, (laughs) yeah. And then you walk an hour to get out. Yeah. Like the experience of being there, the sound, the noise, the people is absolutely amazing. But to me, it's absolutely unexplainable. Yeah, you're not seeing much, I guess. It's yeah, no, it's, it's all about no. the feeling of being and, and part of something. Like, like literally half the time, I can't even tell you what car just went by because it goes yeah. by so fast. These cars are going 400K or whatever they are, kilometers an hour. I mean, they're they're going so fast that you yeah. can barely tell the cars apart. Yeah. And, and yet, being in those stands and watching that, the most energy, the most incredible thing ever. Anyways, sorry. Sorry, that was about 18 brands that I'm a brand fan no, of. No, it's it's, inter- it's interesting. Well, they're all very different, which is interesting. But um, yeah, the F1 thing, I think F1 and golf, PGA, like have done a nice job, I think, of of starting to tap into younger audiences, which I think were sports that younger people weren't as tapped into historically. Yeah. And they've both done a really nice job of of doing that. So like, my, my brother-in-law is Australian. He's obsessed with F1. That's why I watched the documentary and I was like, I have to admit, it's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> so so very, maybe I'll get converted to it. It is very cool. And inter- I went to see, I went to the Canadian Open this year, the first time I've ever been mm. to see golf um, because I don't really like golf and only because it takes too much time. Because <laughs> I love, I love to go and, and golf four or five holes. I absolutely love it. You get out, you yeah. walk, the weather, the everything. 18 is too many. And even 18 is fine once every couple of weeks. 
but I went to see the Canadian Open and it's a very similar, like it absolutely amazes me how into this everyone is, how they know everyone. So I think I'm less of a, it's less of a what I'm really a fan of and my uh, watching and being engaged by fans of something, yeah. right? Fandom is a big term we all are all talking about in, in, in marketing now because loyalty is a term that has been abused and misused. So you can't talk about loyal customers anymore because is it continuity? Is it points? Is it, yeah, it's like what it is. So fandom, when you think about actually winning the hearts of, uh, of customers is something that a lot of people are talking about these days. And I think I get excited when I see fans of almost anything. So it's not even that I, cause I didn't really enjoy watching the golf, but I was totally engaged big fan watching mm-hmm. other people be so in, involved and care so much and, and, and stuff. And you just kind of go, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And um, that's, that's something living out here. We don't have the Canadian open. It's always, it's always around your area. It seems like, so I'm a little bit jealous of that, um, Last question for you, Professor. So we we like to call this one our, our soapbox moment. And you've given advice throughout, right? I've I've been writing down some of the nuggets that you've said. But if you were to be standing, well, like you do, you stand in front of a classroom on a, on a regular basis. But if you're standing in front of, you know, young professionals, people starting out their career, and, and what advice would you give them? What would you tell them? Are, are, are you capturing all those sirens at Young and Bluer for the... I don't hear them, actually. Oh, very good. Look no. at that. My computer's blocking them out. It's blocking it out for you. I'm I'm looking down at the Young and Bluer intersection right now, and there's all kinds of activity going on, and it, <laughs> it's pretty loud. Uh, you know what? I think you're right. I mentioned some of it already. Um, I I think that um, you need to, one of the things which I mentioned already is is that I would give advice to everyone is redefine lucky and make yourself lucky. We can all be lucky, and 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 I think. I think it's really, really important. And when I, the other one I gave was based on my daughter. And that is this idea that it's a lifetime journey. It's not one moment in time. Try not to get yourself um, boxed in uh, by the money. I, I, I have a really good friend who is a senior partner at a law firm here in Toronto. I bet you he makes 10 times what I make, like literally 10 times. <laughs> In the, in the many millions of dollars as a senior partner here, he makes 10 times what I make. And you know what? I wouldn't trade him a minute of his life mm. for mine ever. Why? Because I chose the route that saw me love what I do and be engaged with what I do. Um, I did not take the route that just showed me the money. And, and I think if you, if you follow your heart, your passion and what you love, that you will end up finding the thing that, that really gets you motivated and excited. And when you find that you will be successful because Mm -hmm. as much as maybe I could have been a lawyer and a senior partner somewhere, what I do now is the only place I'd want to. And I can't imagine doing anything else and no amount of money would change my mind. I've had competitors come and offer me much more money to move. And, and I go, but I can't leave my team because my team is so amazing and they've been with me this whole time. And, and I don't want to do this without them at this point which I guess could be a third piece of advice. And that is you're only as good as the people surround yourself with and give credit because if you give credit to the people that are around you, it always comes back. Right. Um, Because I would say that I have done nothing exceptional um, in the last uh, 10 years, uh, except hire and, and support exceptional people who have made me look really good. (laughs) Um, 
themselves really good as well, but uh, made me look really good. Well, that that's awesome. I think there's another piece in there just around your your general humbleness that you seem to have about this. But uh, I, I can tell by the amount of success you've had that that you're obviously doing something right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Maybe that's the Canadian in me. That's what the Americans. Yeah, that's say. true. You that po- apologize. I say apologize sorry, a lot, and I and I say that. Yeah. I think. Um. Uh. You know what I'd say to that is. My success and the success of my teams and the success of my company speaks for itself. I don't need to say anything, hmm. right? And and therefore, humble is a good place to be, um, if you call it humility. Um, also, it could turn around and you can have bad days and you can have bad things and everything else. And if you haven't been humble, um, anyways. Then, then people aren't rooting for you. I, I get yeah. it for sure, right? Yeah. So, so on the humbleness, I'll say one more thing, and that is attitude. Right. Because I'll tell you that there is nobody in this world who can out attitude me. And that's part of why I've been successful. I just I come in every day. I can't wait to go to work. I love Mondays. I love, uh, you know, there's just a if if you have a if all those things fit, if you're lucky and you're you're doing something you love and and you have a great attitude, then no one can be you. Right. Like it just can't be. So, you know, a lot of people say at work the competition, I say I would attitude them and everything else will fall into place. I love that. I love the last little piece. Well, uh, Professor, sounds like you got a busy night. You got an important meeting tomorrow. So just want to say a, a huge thank you for taking the time, uh, an, an hour out of your schedule with, with a lot else going on. And really, really appreciate you just sharing your story, sharing some insights, some advice, some of the things you've been working on. And and for me, kind of kind of special to get to talk to you one-on-one after all of these years too. So somebody that was influential on, on my career and I learned from. Um, and so it's always nice to reconnect and, and see what you're up to and, and hear more about you. Um, well, thank you very much for inviting me. It was a blast. It was fun to see you as well. Uh, say hi to what's his name again for me? <laughs> Alex, yeah. I'm just kidding. I knew it was Alex. <laughs> I, mean, I got to cut out the part where I say Alex and just keep it as what's his name. Okay. <laughs> say hi to what's his name for me. Say hi to Alex for me. If you get to Toronto at all, let me know. We'll go grab a coffee or lunch or something. I'd love to see you. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm usually there for work a, a few times a year, trade shows, things like that. So yeah. so absolutely, we should hook that up. And again, thank you so much. Have, have a great rest of your night and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. My pleasure. Thank you. How freaking awesome was that? Just an amazing guy, super humble. I loved his idea about, you know, no one can out attitude me. What a what a cool approach to life, to leadership, to work. And throughout just talked about how important his team was. In terms of takeaways, I mean, first takeaway, the guy's aging incredibly well. He looks the exact same um, versus me who's aging terribly. So that's my first impression. Um, second impression is just what what a wonderful approach to leadership and business. I love that the way he talked about surrounding himself with incredible people, giving them credit, giving them the autonomy to be successful, and how that comes back in spades. I think that's just such a great lesson for anyone as they climb the corporate ladder to make sure that they have the right attitude, that they're working with the right people that you can't put a value on being around the right people, not leaving for money, making sure that you're doing something special with your team. You can really see his passion and belief that what he's working on is truly, truly special and he's enjoying it. 
and just like finding something that you love. But uh, just really great to connect with him. Can't wait to see him for coffee. Excited to see, um, you know, the photo of him, of course, and all of his gear. And just excited to continue to see what he does with his career. Maybe one day I'll be taking sailing lessons from him. Who knows? If you're still with us, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your support. Remember to like and subscribe. Uh, follow us on social media. Give us those five-star reviews and engage with us if you want to see different kinds of guests, if you have a guest in mind, if there's questions you would like us to ask, if there's something that you're missing, let us know and we'll do it. Thanks so much, everyone.